Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Compassionate Friends and the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Foundation. And today we're going to be talking about dealing with grief and loss, and particularly in relationship to cancer patients. And Heidi, do you want to introduce our guest today? It's one of your fellow New Yorkers. Sure, Mom. Our guest today is William Gorin, and I first met him at Cancer Care. And Bill is an LCSW and Director of Clinical Services at Cancer Care. He is the co-author of the chapter, Unique Issues Confronting Gay, Lesbian, and Bisexual Individuals Diagnosed with Cancer for the Oxford University Press, Handbook of Oncology Social Worker, and the author of the chapter, Social Work, HIV Disease, and Palliative Care for the Oxford Textbook of Palliative Social Work. Prior to his work at Cancer Care, Bill was the Director of Mental Health for the AIDS Healthcare Foundation in Los Angeles, and in 1994 opened the first Gilded Club in New York City. Welcome to the show, Bill. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to have been invited and happy to be here. It's great to have you on. Now, talk a little bit about Cancer Care for people who don't know what that is. That's an organization called Cancer Care, correct? Yes. Cancer Care is a 70-year-old institution founded in 1944, actually by a group of oncologists who were trying to figure out how to work with their patients and patients' families and the caregivers in terms of the more emotional, psychological aspects of having cancer. So Cancer Care was actually founded by them in order to provide a more interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary approach to, to cancer. That mission really hasn't changed in 70 years. So Cancer Care is an agency that provides psychosocial support to anyone affected by cancer, and that means the person with cancer, the caregiver, and the bereaved from cancer. And we do this in a number of ways. We have a national hope line, which is 1-800-813-4673, which actually spells hope. And Clients call us. They may be calling us about our limited financial assistance, or they may be calling us because they've just been diagnosed, or a loved one has been diagnosed, or their child has been diagnosed, or they may be calling us about bereavement issues and needing some sort of support to help them through the activities of grief that they're experiencing. So we do this in a short term. Our counseling is a a short-term model. And we can do that for clients who are local to the New York City area, and we can do telephone and online counseling. The online counseling is group counseling for our national clients, and we reach people in all 50 states of the United States, as well as sometimes even having clients from Guam and Puerto Rico. And our online support groups actually have an international clientele. Our services are free, and I think we provide a very important service to the psychosocial oncology community. Bill, how do the online support groups work? So currently, we have 35 online support groups, and the way they work there, it's sort of like a a posting board where we will form a group, let's say it's young adults who are caregivers to their partners. So we will form that group. Each person will have an assessment to make sure that this is the right modality for them, and then they will be assigned to that group. The group will then be facilitated by a social worker who will read every post, and this is a password-protected social work-facilitated group that will runs for 15 weeks. So it's not a live posting, but it's available 24-7. 
So the social worker involved actually facilitates the conversations, sometimes direct conversation, bringing up themes or certain motifs that the clients are talking about or maybe helps when a certain group is is quiet, might help to sort of stimulate and be a catalyst for conversation. And I think it's for those people who really cannot commit to a specific time or day for face-to-face or telephone counseling, this is a wonderful way to be able to get that support and as well as provide support to other members of the online group at, at your own convenience. These are bereavement groups then? No, they're all types of groups. They're groups for people with cancer. They're for caregivers, and they're for the bereaved. So sometimes they're diagnosis-specific, and sometimes they're population-specific or demographic-specific. We would have a a group for women with metastatic breast cancer, which would be more of the diagnosis-specific, and then we might have a young adult, and by young adult we mean basically 20 through 39, a, a young adult caregivers group. So it's more that's more of the demographic specific what online would a, group. What would a bereavement group look like? A bereavement group would look the same way. It, it would be a group. I don't actually know offhand which bereavement groups are running right now. I think we do have a young adult bereavement group running uh, as an online group. So basically that is people posting available to them, you know, as I said, 24-7 for 15 weeks. And as I said, all of the, the posts are read by one of the staff social workers. I I love, Bill, that you're doing this and that you have these chat rooms, basically, that are being monitored because oftentimes we do grieve in the middle, like, in the middle of the night when no one's around. So to be able to go on, exactly, you say, receive support, get support, and log in and talk about what's going on, I think is really invaluable. Mom, were you going to say Absolutely. Now I was going to tap Bill's brain for a minute because um, I wanted to ask you some questions that... You sent me some questions that people ask in the bereavement world, and I wanted to get some answers because I thought they were great questions. And the first one is, why do I feel so badly about my grief and struggle with sharing it? Mm, that's a really wonderful question, and I think that's a, a question that anybody who is grieving feels. So first of all, I'd like to address the fact that it it is well known, and it's so mis- scientifically evidenced that we all are creatures of attachment. We were born and raised to attach ourselves to to other people, and and when we, if we're lucky enough to find that that one person who is our our partner or our mate through life, or or even attachments within families. That's one of the strongest and most significant parts of our lives. And when that gets disrupted through loss, through loss, through death, it really derails a person's sense of security. It, it really uh, makes them feel sort of disengaged from life. And, and I think it, it causes them to question who I am without this person in my life so that a person may feel a sense of shock or disbelief they may be unable to express how badly they're feeling. They may feel anxious or depressed, or they may feel guilty or angry. Uh, there's a, there's a, a really complex levels of 
of feelings associated with the loss, to say nothing of the loneliness one feels when when someone of significance uh, has died, helplessness, yearning for that person back, a numbness. And some people get confused because they actually may feel relief that a loved one has died when the illness has been prolonged and difficult, and that, that gets confusing for the bereaved person because they, they can feel the sense and the shock of the loss, but yet they're in some ways relieved that their loved one is not suffering anymore. So there's a, a really a, a myriad of reactions that one has to a loss, and one goes into acute state of grief, which is Dr. Kathy Shear from Columbia University says, grief is the actual the action of bereavement. and. Oh, okay. So so there is a difference between grief and bereavement. Well, I think grief is actually the work that we do. Bereavement sort of the the title or the overview. Someone's in bereavement, and grief is the actual activities one goes through when they're grieving, however they're doing that, and the symptoms that one feels in, in that grief response. So I guess one could say that grief is a response to bereavement, the grieving that we feel is a response to bereavement. Now, it must be with cancer, particularly if it's been known for a while, I always think of people somehow around them are kind of out of a job when that person finally dies. I mean, they really have to define what they're doing with their daily activities because they've been so involved oftentimes. Yeah, I mean, as as cancer is becoming a, a more chronic condition and, and people are living longer with cancer, I think it calls on the caregiver to be able to really figure out how they're going to balance their own lives and their own needs and what their lives look like, you know, in relationship to the loved one who is going through the cancer. And certainly one of the things that we do here at Cancer Care is we provide the same type of services in terms of counseling to the caregiver as well as to the person with cancer. And many of our caregiver clients do then become, stay at cancer care once they become bereaved. And I think it is, it's very difficult for clients who have become more intricately involved in their loved one's care as, let's say, as the, if the loved one's uh, cancer is is becoming more complex and they become more involved and they sort of have to find different ways to compromise and find different balances. And that balance always changes as as their loved one, loved one gets sicker. So when the loved one does pass away, one is, you know, left with a question of like, who am I now? What do I do now? Who, where do I focus my attention? Who am I going to take care of now? Because I'm so used to taking care of someone. And the other thing that I noticed what you said previously was that there's also a sense of kind of some relief that, that your loved one's not suffering anymore. Exactly, exactly. And I think that that can be very confusing, disorienting. It actually makes, I think it it makes some bereaved clients feel guilty that they feel this way. They might even feel a sense of emancipation or liberty. Well, I coupled too, with, well, I was wondering that as well. I mean, if your job has been really to caretake and it's taken up a huge amount of your time and it's been absolutely physically and psychologically and emotionally exhausting, there might be that piece too. Like you said, there's a, I like that you brought that up because I think it's something we do not talk about. People are so shamed about it and sh- feeling shameful. There might be a liberation. 
Like, oh my gosh, wait Absolutely. a minute, now I can be on to the next chapter of my life. And there's kind of Absolutely. a little time for me instead of just being Absolutely. A I mean, I think that, you know, as a, as a bereaved person who is, is feeling those kind of very conflicting and confusing emotions, I think that they may get a sense of... This emancipation may sort of sneak in the back way, the feeling of that they're liberated from the difficulties of the cancer. And that has nothing to do with them missing or not loving the person that has just passed away. It's just that the elements, the difficulties of being a caregiver, they now don't have that. And that's what they feel emancipated or liberated from. It's not the person. It's what what had happened to that person. And I think that's where it gets confusing. I think a lot of caregivers who are dealing with very sick loved ones, I've heard many, many people sort of whisper to me that they feel terrible, that they are not looking forward to when someone dies, but they just want this over with. And they say, I feel terrible saying that. And I say, I think that's one of the most normal reactions one can have because you don't want to see your loved one suffering. Exactly. Do you have any special rituals or things that you suggest to people who've had a death of somebody to cancer? Well, I do suggest to people that they pursue some counseling. Certainly here at Cancer Care, we, we provide that counseling. But sometimes people have what's called complicated grief, where they're really the acuteness of missing that person and the compromise in lo- quality of life and the depression and the sadness is really interfering with reinvesting back into life. And and how do we reinvest back into life when you know when we find ourselves being able to return to some of the activities we did when that loved one was alive or before they got sick or even as they were sick. That's beginning to reinvest in life. And people who cannot reinvest in life, we may actually want to consider or or suggest maybe some different modalities, like maybe seeing a psychiatrist or going into actually psychotherapy to really address why it has been so difficult to really work through some of the tasks of grieving. And I think everyone has to grieve when they've had a significant loss. Actually, William Worden talks about the task of grieving, that it is something we have to do. We we have to do, but if we don't do it, it creates problems for us, right? It can create problems, yes. It can create problems. It can create emotional problems. And actually, there's been actual research that it can create actual physical and metabolic problems like sleep disturbances, blood pressure changes, changes in the immune system. And there's also an increase in the possibility of the risk of developing mood or anxiety or substance abuse disorders. So therefore, yes, it is widely considered that mourning and grieving is a task that we all must do in relationship to a significant loss. Absolutely. Well, if you had one piece of advice to give me as a person who has just had somebody die of cancer in the last year, what would your advice be? Wow, that's a wonderful question. I would say to <laughs> to promote my own organization, I would say to call Cancer Care and to talk about it with one of our oncology social workers. Sometimes all people need is talking about it one time to, to really navigate through the, the complexities of the grieving. And I really think that one gets through grief, but one doesn't really get over grief. Um, that grief actually stays with us, and it stays with us forever. We just 
become reinvested back into life and the grieving becomes lessened, but it's a part of who we are and it's a part of our life's experience. And kind of part of our humanity, too. And are part of our humanity, beautifully said. It's actually part of our humanity. And the person we are grieving becomes part of our history and our legacy. Right. Well, tell us again, give us the phone number, and tell us also the website where we can get a hold of your organization. Absolutely. So Cancer Care, based in New York City, but we are a national organization. And our toll-free hope line is one 800 813 4673, or you can go to our website at www.cancercare.org, and you can read about our different services, our face-to-face services, our telephone services, and our online group services. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Bill, and thanks for all of the wonderful work you're doing at Cancer Care. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks, Bill, and thanks for everything you do for the grieving population to help them find hope again. Thank you very much. Wow, Heidi, amazing organization. I was thinking, my gosh, you said, you know, it was founded such a long time ago. What forward-thinking doctors founded this? Really wonderful. It's an amazing organization. I want to thank you for listening today. And Heidi and I want to say to you, as always, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. Mm-hmm.